Hi, this is Nathan. Before we get to the episode, I want to invite you to join me on an incredible adventure this November of 2024. I am taking a small group of believers to Turkey, what the New Testament called Asia Minor, for a 12-day Bible study tour of the early church. We'll be studying the book of Acts and many of the epistles on location as we visit ancient cities like Ephesus, Laodicea, Heropolis, Antioch, Pergamum, and many more. If you are interested in joining me this November for a once-in-a-lifetime adventure as we study where much of the New Testament and early church took place, you can learn more by going to deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. And if you're interested, don't delay. Spots are limited and on a first-come, first-served basis, and a $100 discount is available if you register before May 27th. I do hope you can join me. And again, more information is available at deeperchristian.com forward slash turkey. Now, here's the episode. Welcome to episode 174 of the Deeper Christian Podcast. This is the podcast to help you study God's word, know Jesus intimately, and discover how you can build your life around Jesus Christ. I'm Nathan Johnson, and in today's episode, I want to talk about marriage. Let's dive in. Over the course of the last couple of weeks, I've been involved in two weddings. Uh, The first wedding was a couple of weeks ago, and the next one is actually this upcoming weekend. And it's interesting that as, as I just ponder this idea of romance and marriage and weddings, how much that just causes me to reflect back upon Jesus Christ. There's this amazing reality that we are the bride of Christ, that, that we are his bride. In Revelation chapter 19, verse 7, it says, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory For the marriage of the lamb has come and his wife has made herself ready. Now, while we're not yet to the marriage supper of the lamb, you realize that when we participate in an earthly wedding, the earthly wedding is supposed to be a picture of a heavenly one. In other words, yes, we are celebrating the coming together of two distinct lives where this man and this woman are becoming one And yet the reality is, is it's supposed to be a picture of a greater reality, which is Christ and his bride, the church. I don't know about you, but when I go to a wedding, one of the things I love to do is that when the bride begins to walk down the aisle, I actually turn my gaze from the bride and begin to stare at the groom. Now, I know that this is probably not, you know, very honorable in the normal sense, because, you know, everyone is supposed to be looking at the bride and ooing and awing at the beauty of the bride. And yet I have found that I actually get more delight watching the face of the groom. And I realize that once the bride gets up front, I'll have the entire ceremony to ooh and awe at the beauty of the bride. But until then, the very first glance that he has of her, I I would just want to see his expression because there's something that happens when as she crests that corner and his eyes meet hers, There is something that often takes place in his face. Now, I've seen guys who begin just to weep. I've seen guys who, you know, explode with a huge smile. But something always takes place. 
There's a passage in scripture I just love to meditate upon in light of all this. It comes from Isaiah 62 verse 5. And it says, as the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. Isn't that an incredible promise? As the bridegroom rejoices over the bride, so shall your God rejoice over you. In other words, I've never once seen a bridegroom who, as the bride is walking down the aisle, just goes, ugh, what on earth? You know what? Just leave. What are we doing? See, every single bridegroom I've ever looked at is always rejoicing over the bride. In fact, I love that moment too, where the father takes her hand and puts her hand in his hand. And there's like this moment of euphoria of like, oh, we're almost there. She's touching my hand. This is so exciting. Why? He is rejoicing over his bride. And that is the exact same way that God feels about you. That there is this phenomenal reality that he passionately loves us. And again, we're not talking physical love. We're talking true, godly, agape love that he rejoices over you. He's not looking at you going, oh, bummer. How, how long do I have to put up with you? Are you kidding me? What, what on earth? See, we kind of had this thought that, you know, as we're falling asleep at night, God kind of goes, whew, finally, I get a break. You know, and the moment we wake up, he's like, oh, you know what? Hit snooze a couple of times because I, I just need some rest. See, that's not how God behaves. In fact, I'm convinced that God is looking at us as we're falling asleep going, oh, just wake up, 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 wake up. Because he just, he cannot help himself because he wants to spend time in relationship and intimacy with us. Again, I love just the picture all throughout scripture that here is God pursuing his bride. Why? Because he wants relationship with us. What would happen if you and I began to realize that the way that God feels about us isn't, it's not that he just loves us because he does for God so loved the world, but it's not that God just loves us. He actually likes us and wants to spend time with us. In the Greek, there are four key different words for the word love. And obviously the one that we're very common or used to is that word agape, which is that unconditional, relentless, aggressive kind of love. But there's another word in the Greek that I think is just as important for us to understand. And it's the Greek word phileo. And phileo has that idea of brotherly or deep friendship kind of love. Uh, for example, Philadelphia is the city of brotherly love. It comes from that Greek word phileo. And it's amazing to me that I know that God loves me, but at times you just kind of wonder like, well, doesn't he have to love me? I mean, it's like, yeah, it's like he is love. First John chapter four, verse eight and 16. So if he is love, he's just like, he can't help himself. He, he has to love me. But then we ask the question, but does he actually like me? And my guess is there's probably people in your life that, well, you love them and you do anything for them. But that doesn't mean you want to go on vacation with them. You know, it's like, I love them, but I don't know how much I like them. Well, what about God? I, I know that God loves me, but, but does God like me? Do you know what is so phenomenal to me and throughout scripture? Is that it is the revelation that God not only loves you, but also wants to be your best friend. That he, he wants to communion with you. He wants to have intimacy. He wants to have relationship. 
and and like a great friend, whether or not there's a lot of talking going on, there's still a deep affection and friendship because of that communion, because of that camaraderie and that love. Do you realize that God not only loves you, but he actually likes you and he wants to spend time with you? See, he is like a bridegroom that just cannot help himself, but he wants to rejoice over you like a bridegroom rejoices over his bride. In the book of Hosea, there's this incredible statement where God looks at Hosea and he's speaking through the mouth of this prophet and he says, it shall be in that day, says the Lord, that you, speaking to the people of Israel, that his people, that you shall call me Ishi, which means my husband. I will betroth you to me forever. Yes, I will betroth you to me in righteousness and justice in loving kindness and mercy. God says, do you realize there's coming a day when my people are going to look at me and go, wow, you're my Ishi, my husband. Why? Because we are his bride. There's an old hymn that I just love the words to. It's the hymn, The Love of God. And let me just read you the, for just a couple of verses for you. I just, I just, just ponder the reality of the love of God. The hymn says, the love of God is greater far than tongue or pen can ever tell. It goes beyond the highest star and it reaches to the lowest hell. The guilty pair bowed down with care. God gave his son to win his erring child. He reconciled and pardoned from his sin. Oh, love of God, how rich and pure, how measureless and strong. It shall forevermore endure the saints and angels song. Now, I love verse three. Just listen to the richness of these words. Could we with ink the ocean fill and were the skies of parchment made? Were every stock on earth a quill and every man a scribe by trade? To write the love of God above would drain the oceans dry, nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. And now if you're sitting there going, I have no idea what that just said. <laughs> Let me just explain just verse three. What, what the hymnist is saying is, if we could take the oceans and fill the oceans, turn all the water of the oceans into ink, and then we could take this, the, you know, the expanse of the sky and it becomes this huge piece of paper or this parchment. And then we were to take every blade of grass and every twig and every limb. And that became a quill, a writing utensil. And if every single human became all they ever did for the rest of their life was a scribe and all they were going to do is write. The hymnist says, if we were to write about the love of God, there would not be enough ink in the oceans to describe the wonder of the love. Nor could that piece of paper, that expanse of the sky contain all that would have to be written. See, that is the depth of the love of God. I just love just that meditation, that God's love is so overwhelming and so extreme and just so re relentless and aggressive. And yet he didn't just love me, God likes me. In fact, he is rejoicing over me like a bridegroom rejoices over the bride. What if somehow we could just understand that? that? That God is not waiting for you to do something wrong and flick you into the abyss. Burn, baby, burn. 
I mean, his, his desire is not just to stomp upon you. Yes, he is righteous. Yes, he is holy. And he will bring about a righteous judgment. But he says that I am patient and long, I'm, I'm long suffering so that you would repent. I desire a relationship and intimacy with you. So, hey, would you, hey, would you return? Would you come back? Would you pursue me? I think if we actually understood that, it would begin to change how we live. I love what Song of Solomon 2.10 says. It says, my beloved spoke and said to me. So here's the, the Shulamite. Here's the woman, the bride. And she's hearing the voice of her groom. And what is the groom saying to the bride? It is, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Do you know what God is saying to each of us? He's saying, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Spend time with me. Come, have intimacy and relationship. A.W. Tozier picks up on this, and, and in his book, The Pursuit of God, he ends every chapter with a prayer. And, and this is the conclusion of chapter one. I, th- I think it's chapter one. But listen to the prayer that A.W. Tozier prays coming out of that Song of Solomon 2.10. Tozier writes, O oh God, I have tasted thy goodness, and it has both satisfied me and made me thirsty for more. I am painfully conscious of my need of further grace. I'm ashamed of my lack of desire, O God, the triune God. I want to want thee. I long to be filled with longing. I thirst to be made more thirsty still. Show me thy glory, I pray, that I may know you indeed. Begin in mercy a new work of love within me. Say to my soul, rise up, my love, my fair one, and come away. Then give me grace to rise and follow thee up from this misty lowland where I have wandered so long. In Jesus' name, amen. What a great prayer for each of us to be praying. That, wow, I have tasted, I have experienced just a small measure of who God is. And yet it has caused me to yearn and thirst and hunger after him all the more. Or as I love to quote Andrew Murray, he said, ask me if I'm satisfied in Jesus. And he says, with every fiber of my being, I will tell you that I am satisfied. But let us never hesitate to say, this is only the beginning. So today, would you remember that God not only loves you, but he likes you. And he wants to spend time with you. He wants relationship and intimacy and, and oneness with you. That he has given you all things that you need for life and godliness. That he has supplied all things that you need to live out the Christian life triumphantly. So would you go in and press after him? Would you just be obsessed with him? Yes, be satisfied in Jesus. But let us never hesitate to say, this is only the beginning. Well, I hope that's just a fresh encouragement and a reminder to you today. That no matter what it is you're facing, God has not abandoned you. He loves you. He is faithful. So let us keep our gaze upon him and consistently, continually pursue him. Well, thank you for listening to this episode of the Deeper Christian Podcast. For show notes of this episode, including a list of all those verses I just read, please visit deeperchristian.com forward slash 174 for episode 174. And until next time, know that God passionately loves you and likes you.
and know that I'm cheering you on as you build your life around Jesus Christ.